0: Hello friends, I'm Renee, and I'm Anna, and you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today we bring you an extra episode to discuss what we've been up to recently in our projects, and a discussion of Runtime by S.B. Divya, Daughter of Mystery by Heather Rose Jones, and I'm sure what will be a loving discussion.
1: Is it, though? Is it going to be a lovingly, positive discussion about the Mighty Ducks?
0: Well, it better be. That's all I gotta say.
1: Is it gonna be a situation?
0: It better not be. (laughs) I will come after you, and I have your address. (laughs) I know where you live.
1: (laughs) It's just to add some tension to the proceedings. We agree with each other so much.
0: Not the last few episodes we (laughs) haven't.
1: We shall see. We have two, three segments to go.
0: I guess we'll get into it and then we'll see how it goes. In the last few weeks, we've been up to a lot of stuff in our personal projects. Anna, what have you been doing at the Booksmugglers and Booksmugglers Publishing?
1: We published the second volume of our almanac, which has tons of short stories, a couple of reprints, several essays, really great ones. One of my favorite essays that we have ever published is one by Mimi Mondal called Characters Are Not a Coloring Book. And it's about Harry Potter, about being a fan of color of Harry Potter. She's from India. She grew up in India and she has been a Harry Potter fan all her life and has struggled with the lack of positive representations of people of color within the Harry Potter world. And what does it mean to have an actress of colour, playing Hermione in the play, and is that too little, too late? So it's an excellent essay. We have one other essay by Tansy Rainer Roberts from Galactic Suburbia, and she's also an Australian writer. She wrote about the one-girl trope in comics and movies, and it's really great too. We have one, which is really cool, right? So you know that I met Thayer and this whole thing with the book smugglers started because of Lost, the TV show. This is where we met. We met each other at a Lost forum. And um, one of the writers of the show is Javier Grigio, Max Watch, and he wrote some of my favorite episodes. And I invited him to write something for the Almanac. And he said, yes, I nearly fell off my chair when he said yes. And he wrote about Star Trek, the motion picture, how it has an enduring quality to it, even through its cheesiness. And it's really great because I actually got into Star Trek through the movies. I never watched the TV shows, at least not the original Star Trek. I've watched a lot of more of the Next Generation one with Jean-Luc Picard. But the movies, I was so into the movies, especially the first four ones. And with the the one with the whales is by far my favorite because, you know, time travel. (laughs) Well, maybe that's how my time traveling love started. Hmm. Oh, my God. Sudden realization. That's so great. Anyway, so the Book Smuggler's Quarterly Almanac, Volume 2. We finished it. We published it last couple of weeks ago and now we are finishing and will be publishing extra humans by Susan Jane Biglow, which is the last book in the extra human union series and it's the one that hasn't been published before because all of the other ones so far have been reprints but this one is the last book in the series that has never been out at all and I'm really excited about it. As a fan of the series, because I came into this series first as a reader and I fell in love with it and I can't begin to tell you how much it means to me to be actually publishing them. And then now putting away the last book in the series that explains everything that came before and what's the reasoning behind all of it. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. I'm so happy about it. So this is what I've been doing for Booksmugglers Publishing. We have also been editing a lot of stuff. We have a lot of things coming up. We have a Halloween story coming up on the 31st of October. It's a novella by Octavia Cage called The Convergence of Fairy Tales. And it's so fucking horrific, right? Because it opens with the way that Sleeping Beauty, the classical telling of sleepy beauty opens with her waking up with baby coming out of her and this takes it up to an extra level it's very disturbing but very well done
0: all right thank you thank you for letting me know not to read this i'm glad that you gave me this warning i will stay far far away from that no problem no
1: problem it's like it's very empowering too it's a convergence of fairy tales because Sleeping Beauty morphs into Snow White that morphs into the frog princess and then, then morphs into the, the Snow Queen and then that morphs into Rapunzel. So it's kind of like the same person, but all of those princesses and queens and etc. It's really interesting, but also very disturbing. So, yeah. So this is it from Booksmugglers Publishing. Booksmugglers, I'm just doing regular blog stuff, running the blog, publishing reviews. Not a lot of them, because where is the time to read? What about you? What have you been up to?
0: My last Strange Horizons column came out. It's very bittersweet. When I talked to my therapist about Strange Horizons it became clear to me that I was never going to be able to write for them without being, like, slightly triggered every time. I was always going to be waiting for something to explode. And plus, I was having a lot of trouble figuring out what to write about because I feel like my fan experience has kind of been tapped out as far as things that would be of interest to the science fiction and fantasy community. So I wrapped it up, and I think it went pretty well. I talked about Worldcon... And how it made me feel. And I talked about the guy who snubbed me, like, three different times at Worldcon. Some of them in front of people I really admire. Like, you don't know what it is to be anxious until you've had somebody snub you. Like, look at you and deliberately turn their back when they've done it in front of Kate Elliott and John Scalzi.
1: Mm. Oh my god.
0: Like, they're not gonna notice They're not going to It's fine. But my brain thinks that they notice. Anyway, so... (laughs) I'm still really bitter about it. But I really liked the way the column ended. I'm really proud of it. I'm going to actually pitch the column as an anthology. Soon, um, Strange Fourses gets six months uh, exclusive rights to my columns before I can, like, take them elsewhere. I'm going to spend that time working on some extra content and pitching it as an anthology. I'm really excited about that. I haven't been reading that much, but I did do My Favorite Media of September a few days ago on Lady Business. I also wrote a review of The Savage Song by Victoria Schwab, which, according to my statistics, did really well. I mean, not a lot of people commented on it, but according to my stats, a lot of people read it. (laughs) Tell us why, Renee. Because I'll kind of framed it as okay why does this character have pants and i talked about dicks a whole lot it is a
1: great review
0: i really hope it like convinces the people to read the book because it's a great book i really like that book a whole lot and otherwise i haven't been up to that much because my partner had heart surgery and i've been taking care of him and reading for the podcast
1: i loved your column strange horizons i thought it was quite was bittersweet like you said Always sad to see it go. But the thing about the anthology puts a huge smile on my face. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge.
0: Uh, Yes, I'm really. uh, It's going to be a really big surprise when I pitch it to the book smugglers first. Runtime by SBDvia was published by the new tour.com novella imprint, and it is about Marmeg, who is a lower class person who is going to run in a cyborg terrain race, and what happens once she is in the race and how she comes out of it a different person. I have a story about this novella from Worldcon. I walked by the Angry Robot booth where they were selling tour novellas. I had no clue why they were selling tour novellas at the Angry Robot booth. I don't know, but it was really weird, but they were there and I saw it. I'm like, Oh, I really want that. And then the next day I met SB Devia at a panel and I was like, Oh, I saw your novella and I wanted it. And then she was like, wait, you don't need to buy it. You're from lady business. And I'm like, what? Uh, yes, I do. Because it's good to support authors. <laughs> It was this really awkward conversation where we were like, kind of like fangirling each other awkwardly. You know how that goes, I'm sure. So then the next day after that, I went to the Angry Robot booth and it was still there. There was one copy left and I was like, give it to me. I want it. And so I got it. And I'm super excited that I got the final copy of that novella. Because I actually really liked it a whole lot. What did you think of it?
1: I loved it. First of all, I wanted to make sure to say that even though it's a novella, and it's a short novella as well, it's not one of the longer ones, right? I think this is probably about 120 pages. But it packs a lot of stuff into it. It's kind of like it has a story about a family. It has a story about immigration in America. It's a futuristic story. It has a story about class, about friendship, about different genders. There's a whole thing with the third gender. And then you have this girl trying to get out of their loop of poverty and to try and make a a life for her for herself and then there is a race and then there is a twist and then there's betrayal
0: there's so much going on in this thinking novella i want to go to the gender thing first because i found that really interesting so at the very beginning it tosses you into this idea of this third gender where they have men women and then moot moot Was the word that they used. And then the pronouns were like Z and Zim and Zir. And I don't have a lot of stuff on my toolkit about trans issues. But the surgery part of this book. Because they bring it up several times. Because Marmeg, who goes by female gendered pronouns. Talks about wanting moot surgery. And I was never really clear on what the book Meant by moot surgery. Like, I didn't understand exactly what that meant as far as changes to your body. Like, does it just make you non gendered? Because they talked a lot about androgyny regarding moots. But what I've learned so far, and I don't know if this is correct, so I'm sure if there's any trans listeners, they can correct me. But surgery doesn't negate your transness if you don't get it. That's what I've gotten from the trans community so far, like, as far as my listening and reading has gone. Like, if you are a trans woman, it doesn't matter if you never have surgery, you're a trans woman. You are a trans woman, absolutely. The book doing this, like, really, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I don't have, like I said, I don't have the toolkit to unpack what the book was doing versus what I've learned from the trans community. I think it would be really interesting to read a review by a trans reviewer um, and see what they think about it. Right. I didn't necessarily read
1: the third gender as a transgender. I read it more as a gender fluidity, like both being both. Yes. So I kind of like assumed the surgery was more like adding stuff.
0: Yeah, it's just really interesting, though, to have that nuance there. But for that to be the only option, I think it's my concern. Right. Like, you have men, you women, and you have moots. But where are the other...
1: Where are the other ones? Ah, I didn't think of that, but that's a really great point. Because,
0: I mean, it has that nuance about that, that third gender, but there's not any nuance outside of that pocket. And I thought that was fascinating. And I'm sure, like, you can't... There's only so much you can do in a novella space. But I just thought it was a really interesting... Idea and what I really wanted was like a novel that dealt with that,
1: yeah, absolutely. But that dealt with everything.
0: I mean, I think if you go back to my criticisms of this book, like that's really gonna be it. I want more of this. <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't this a longer novel?
1: Yeah, I know, which is what we think about most novellas, right?
0: Sometimes, sometimes I think novellas are the right, uh, like I think Binti
1: was perfect.
0: There's another one. As you can see I don't read a lot of novellas that I remember very well.
1: I actually been I've been reading all of the Tor.com novellas and I've been joining them so much. So much. They're doing such great work.
0: As far as runtime goes, I would definitely buy a novel of this concept, this world.
1: Who knows? Maybe they will have one.
0: Because I really liked Marmeg a whole lot. I really liked her. She was this kind of good hearted grump. That's kind of how I read her. Yeah. Where she was really super determined to win this race and pull her and her family members out of poverty, where she goes into it doing the wrong things for the right reasons. Yeah, And so it becomes a debate about, is it okay to do the wrong things for the right reasons when you're running a race where you can just be sabotaged at any time? Does it make it okay for her to have cheated when somebody else bent the rules to sabotage her attempt. Like, it comes at, like, all these moral issues about cheating, especially in a race situation, like an endurance race situation.
1: Yeah. So what did you think about that? Because me, personally, I was rooting for her to go the cheating way. I was like, Mermak, just go and cheat and win this fucking thing. Because everything is stacked up against her. Like, the entire society... So it's not a fair society. It's not a fair beginning. She's she's not on the same level as the other competitors, the other runners, because the society is against her. Because there is also a level in which um, she is born in the United States, but she's the daughter of immigrants. Right. And she doesn't have full, doesn't have a license. She doesn't have a nationality, doesn't have the equivalent of a green car, I would say. That is now. Um, so everything is against her. She doesn't. She can't go to school. She can't do what she wants. She can't afford to pay for the equipment that everybody has. She's the only one running without a team, a support team. I was kind of like, just cheat, woman, cheat and win and get money and get out of it.
0: Is it okay for her to cheat in the, the sense that the race has for a long period of time? been controlled by the people living in the mountains that's the thing right yes so is the race already compromised so does it matter from a from an ethical
1: perspective no it doesn't matter that it has already been compromised she shouldn't compromise herself but then part of me goes everything is unfair this is a very personal story because there is no wider political once from Marmach. She doesn't think I, I should do this so that everybody like me will get out of poverty. So this is a very individualistic story in a way. It doesn't try to break the system from the inside. Although in the end, she says she would um, talk about the mics and how they have cheated the competition for so many
0: times. And it's further complicated by the fact that what she does at the end... She only was in that position because she was cheating. Yes. And so it adds this layer of, okay, well, how do you say this is completely wrong? Because if she hadn't done it, she wouldn't have been able to...
1: Just save the other person.
0: Mm-hmm. So it just becomes this thing where... And also she becomes kind of a celebrity, which we don't see because, like you said, this is very much from her perspective. But at the end, where they take the race away from her and the whole like the world rallies around her, sort of... And she becomes, like, social media famous is how I read that. But we're seeing that from her side. And I really thought that was fascinating because most of the time when you see somebody, like, get famous on social media, you see it from your perspective and you don't really see it from theirs. She talks about how her rating went up and then down and up and it was fluctuating all over the place, how people were rooting for her, how people weren't mean to her. And then she makes a comment at some point, like, she's like, that stuff doesn't put food on the table.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, she's back in her family and with the dynamics and the issues that she has with her mother and the way that she's brought up and what the expectations from her mother are. And she ends up having to face that, face the tune, right? And make a decision about what she wanted to do. And maybe that is the one moment when some external thing happens to help her get out of it but only because she put herself in that position first
0: and i found the relationship with the mother a little disturbing because the mother is super emotionally abusive
1: from a background of religion right i know so many people like that
0: Yeah, i mean i could see where her mom was coming from with a lot of things but the way she went about it was just super abusive and that's kind of possibly a feature in stories about immigrants and Generational divides where the parents and the kids just can't see eye to eye because of a myriad of issues that complicate how they see the world. But I really did not like the mom.
1: I don't think we are supposed to like the
0: mom. I mean, I think you're supposed to feel sympathy for, her, but I don't even feel sympathy for. Her. I'm just mad at. I was just mad at her the entire time.
1: I felt sympathy for her for the for the situation that they were all in, for the facts that they didn't have a way out.
0: I thought she created a lot of her own problems. Guess what? When you're emotionally abusive and to your children, surprise, they don't react very well. That's true. She wasn't the bad guy, I don't want to say, but she was definitely, to me, an antagonist. Of course, the way the novella ends, and it's not really explicit, but I don't really see Marmeg cutting her mom out. I just see her going back with her new circumstances and making things work. Whereas me I'd be like peace.
1: I guess it also it depends on so many things though.
0: I think it depends it just depends on like who you are as a person. Like how you how you read this novella really depends on your own personal circumstances. Yes. Which is like a magic trick and is amazing. So I love this novella.
1: Yeah, me too. How many space bees do you give it? Four. I give it four too.
0: I really want this to be a novel. Maybe there will be more. I don't know who to talk to at Tor to get more in this universe, but hello, it's me, Renee, from Finger Happy Hour. I would like to graciously request that you hire via to write more in this universe. Thank you. Co-sign. I'm sure that will reach somebody at Tor. Somebody at Tor's like, why wow, is my nose itching? Right now. I'm sure, it's happening. Otter of Mystery by Heather Rose Jones is a fantasy romance novel set in the make-believe country of Alpania. This novel made me feel so fucking stupid. (laughs) I don't even know how else to put it. It made me feel super dumb. Maybe I'm just not as smart as I think I am, Anna. Why? Why did it make you feel dumb? Okay. So this novel is about Margaret and Barbara. Margaret is in the care of her uncle because her parents died. And Barbara is a bodyguard. She's a bodyguard to a baron who is the godfather of Margaret. And then he, like, kicks the bucket, leaves all his shit to Margaret, including Barbara, just to, like, piss off some whiny dude who thought it was all going to go to him. Is that a good summary, Anna? That's the basic premise, yes.
1: He leaves all the money to Margaret, but he doesn't leave her the title, though. That's the difference there. Okay. And he also imposes that she can't be by herself until she's of age. And the thing with Barbara, he actually owned Barbara. He bought her as a slave, and she thought she was going to be freed when he died, but she wasn't. She was passed on. As a piece of cutthroat to my
0: great. The book is about how they come to relate to each other. And eventually, yes, fall in love. This is definitely a queer love story. But it made me feel so fucking stupid. I'm mad about it a little bit.
1: Oh, go on.
0: And I think that part of the problem is, number one, I'm an atheist. I don't give a shit about religion. And this whole book is largely about religion and a fantasy magic thing extrapolated from religion. I kind like I was kind of recognizing what was going on, but then like you would put in the magic bits, and I'd be totally lost again. And I was just like, oh. And this l- novel also is like my l- least favorite premise, where you deal with coming out and society and social hierarchies and convoluted rules for social interaction, and that I don't understand and never did understand. Okay. And so I just spent the novel fumbling around in the dark, trying to make sense of the social connections, what was religion and what was the fantasy magic, what was happening. (laughs) Anna, I felt so stupid. It's okay. Deep breath. Everything is okay. It's not even the novel's fault. It's not the novel's fault. The novel is perfectly fine. It's perfectly well written. Everything it's fine. It's just me. It's like somebody came and like, hey, you're an atheist and you know fuck all about religion now because you bought it all out of your memory due to post-traumatic stress.
1: Well, okay, right. So this book is built on trappings relating to magic and religion on one side. And then it's also kind of like a Regency romance, reminiscent of English aristocracy and its rules from the Regency period or the Victorian period. And then you have the lesbian romance. And then all through that, you also have that really interesting power dynamics between Margaret and Barbara, because one is beholden to the other. And then at some point, the situation uh, reverses. And that's really interesting. I think this is my favorite part of the novel.
0: Yes, I agree. I 100% agree with that, with the fact that the romance was the best part. Yes.
1: And then but then you go back to the religionslash magical aspects. And I thought it was interesting. I'm also not religious. And from what the way I read it is that it was very close to um Catholicism even because it has it had a lot of going to the church, praying to the saints kind of thing. The thing is that Margaret had this power in which she was able to see The way that prayers and the way, it's basically prayer is magical. You pray to a saint to protect someone. And in that that prayer, in the way that you say the prayer, there are certain magical scriptures built into it. And if you do it a certain way, it will work or not. And Margaret was able to see the magical threads that were built. And she was, made, she was able to build on top of it. But then, of course, if you don't believe in prayer as magical or as functioning that way, it kind of creates a barrier for you to engage with the novel properly. I don't even know if you have to be religious to, to engage with the novel like that, but you have to have that sort of understanding and it makes it a little bit complicated because it makes religion into something that is real and that it's magical and saints of thing. Do you know what I mean?
0: I know what you mean.
1: So that way I was kind of like removed from the novel as well. For me, that part was the least interesting one. I like Regency romances. So I don't, I have read so many of them. I don't even register the rules or anything. It's like, yeah, that's how it was. That was okay for me.
0: But not when it's five pages long. (laughs) Trying to explain it to you.
1: No. I think the one thing is that the book is quite long, too, unnecessarily so. Especially when it went on a very detailed description of Regency and magic and religion. On the other hand, like how many times have I read a book like this that actually featured two women as the main characters? So, I felt like, do you know what? I don't care. I'm going to enjoy it for what it is because I've never read a Regency romance with l- ladies before. I think my main gripe with this is that there was no boning.
0: I know, right? <laughs> I don't know how to read romance novels without fucking. How, how, what, <laughs> what? I'm tired. Like, I did this when I was a teenager. I went, this, I went through this. I read a bunch of books that had no fucking in them. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, the fucking was there it was just behind
1: closed doors we didn't see it
0: i mean okay fine fine but okay but
1: we waited so long it
0: took such a long time for
1: them to finally admit their
0: feelings for each other and i was like oh yes that's gonna happen out oh, sexy on a scale of get together really fast and fuck really quickly and like slow burn Whatever becomes 8,000 miles before Slow Burn was this novel.
1: I like Slow Burn.
0: But this was not Slow Burn. This was 8,000 miles before it. Before the Slow Burn.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was disappointed in that. I was like, there was so much detail about everything. Why not detail about the sex? I've read so many Regency novels with a dude and a woman, and there was so
0: much sex in it. It It's like, why can't I have this one thing? In heterosexual romance novels, you get a lot of the sexual chemistry between the characters before they even get close. And then here, it was like they had to build a friendship, and then once they finally got around to having that friendship, you could barely see the unrealized sexual tension between them. It was so subtly done. For some people, this might be a feature and not a bug.
1: Absolutely. But there's also the question that for Margaret being a lesbian wasn't even on the radar to start with she didn't even think she didn't even know that there was a possibility that women could be with each other that's how protected she was it was when she saw barbara interacting with another lady and then she heard about someone else that she says oh this could happen and maybe those feelings that i'm having are not especially friendly type
0: and then but that happened in like the third quarter of the book
1: yeah so it takes a while for that to happen
0: there's an audience for this i really do think there is i'm Probably not it. Um, apparently, I'm just going to have to come out and be like, I need to have some fucking in my romance novel. That's just how it is. It's got to be explicit. I feel like sometimes that female sexuality is suppressed or hidden. And I'm sure there are Regency romance novels out there with lesbian couples or any any sort of romance novels out there with lesbian couples because self-publishing is so robust now and there's not a problem. I'm sure that's out there. So I feel really mean picking on this book specifically for that issue. But I also am coming at it from a really different perspective because I've been in fandom so long and we've often had these conversations about erasing female sexuality or shutting it aside to focus on easier-to-write sex and I think that's maybe another wrong way to phrase it, but I don't have other words for it. Because so much of our concept of sex in our culture is about penetration. I talked about this when I reviewed Ash by Melon DeLoe, and it was like, why, didn't I, why did I not connect with the romance here? And I just couldn't figure it out, except until I went back to the idea that so much of the way we conceptualize sex is penetrative, and if that doesn't happen, it's not really sex That also makes it kind of difficult to write, because how do you write it if your readers can't get to where you are because they don't have a grounding in female sexuality that doesn't include penetration? I don't think this has anything to do with the book. This is just me musing.
1: I don't have a lot to add there. I never thought of it like that.
0: So anyway, I'm just really curious about whether this didn't have explicit sex in it when it had opportunities to have it. I mean, maybe it would have been weird, because I think I think the opportunity came when they were in, like, a church. Maybe that would have been weird to have explicit sex written while they were in a church. <laughs> Moving on from that, I want to talk about Margaret. I really liked her and her propensity for creating... She was creating spells, basically. She was, like, a, a little religious witch creating spells to protect people. And I liked that... She got to do it, and she was so good at it. And it was neat to see her being so good at it. I mean, we obviously get Barbara, who is good at dueling and with swords and fighting. And protecting and strategizing. I loved Barbara. Yeah, but she comes to the book with that already as a tool. But Margaret, we see her develop it. And I think that's super neat to be able to watch her grow and learn these things and then apply them and then have it explode in her face, of course. But what could you do? But I really liked that aspect of the story and getting to watch her. Even though some of the things went over my head, I was like, oh my god, philosophers.
1: I thought they were really interesting conversations because that was one of the things that they had in common. Because even though Barbara was an army and she also had a philosopher's mind and she was able to study when she was growing up. A little bit, not to the extent that she would have liked. And that they would spend time in the library every night talking about books and, you know, chatting about philosophy.
0: Not boning. Sorry, I'll let it go. I'm sorry. I'll I'll move on. I apologize.
1: I also quite liked that the title of the novel could refer to either woman. I mean, that's how I read it. I know that in the end we have it said it explicitly who it refers to, but I quite like to think that it could have been Margaret because she works with the mysteries, but also to Barbara because she didn't know who her parents were and that was such a huge part of the plot too. So they were both daughters of mystery.
0: The end of the novel, which I won't spoil, it felt like the characterization just did really weird things and it was just really jarring.
1: There is always a last minute conflict the the path to love is never easy, Renee. No, I thought it made sense because it was, it was such an abrupt change for Barbara, especially. And they were trying to understand what that new dynamics was. What could they do with it? What would it mean for them as individuals and then as a couple, eventually?
0: I guess maybe part of my problem is that I don't necessarily care to read books about women in love where they have to be suppressed because that's the way the culture is
1: absolutely and you also don't like romantic um historical romances
0: when the whole premise is them having to navigate their roles and keep themselves and their relationship a secret from everybody i had enough of that as a teenager I'm super over it And I mean, I understand because there's some drama and kind of emotion in the fact that you would have a relationship like that in those time periods and those cultures. And that's what people like about it. It adds some tension. It can be really good tension. But for me, it just like kind of tosses me back to, oh, okay, so this has to be hidden like everything, like everything else. Okay, that's cool.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: But I really, the mystery at the center of a novel, which took a little bit of time to develop. Because I don't think it really kicks in until halfway through. I really liked that. The novel went actually much faster once that started. And I just really, really liked the way all the layers came together at the end. Especially with the dude whose name I can't pronounce. He was really nice. Yeah, no, I really liked him. He was their fairy godfather. That's a good way to put it, yes. So anyway, I give this novel three space bees. Can I split a bee? Oh my god, this poor bee. Okay, maybe, like Elizabeth said... Maybe it's just peeking out of the hive. Yeah, the butt is hidden. Yes.
1: I would give it three and a half bees.
0: I'm only giving it three because I just, I don't like it when, it's not even the book's fault, but I just don't like it when I feel stupid. And I really felt stupid reading this book.
1: I'm so sorry, I hate that.
0: And it's my it's my own fault, because I had the option of learning the political system and the social structures of Regency in Victorian Britain when I was in college, and I was like, fuck that, I'm going to go take the Civilizations of Africa course <laughs> instead. I did it to myself.
1: And you know what? That was a great choice.
0: I did it to myself, and I can't, like, I'm judging the book for my own failures. But no, I really think that, like, for people who enjoy Regency romance and are looking for Lesbian romance and regency, this is a perfect choice. I agree. And it has cool ladies that do cool stuff.
1: And Barbara reminded me of Brienne from Game of
0: Thrones. I'm now just going to picture Barbara that tall.
1: Exactly. Yo!
0: Daddy Ducks is a 1992 movie starring Emilio Estevez as a super self-centered lawyer who gets a DUI and is therefore sentenced to coach a youth hockey team. And then there's a bunch of hijinks and he learns to love the kids and everything ends happily. I love this movie. Anna, you're on thin ice already.
1: (laughs) I really liked the movie. Maybe not to the same extent as you do. I had never watched it before. I thought I had, and I will probably wager that. It's because if it came out in 1992, I was 16 years old. So this probably have registered on a, oh, this is for children.
0: It's for everybody, Anna. It's for everybody who loves teamwork. I'm talking to you from
1: my 16-year-old self. This is probably how it registered to me at that stage. So I never watched it, and I just missed the train. So how old were you when you first watched this?
0: I want to say I saw it much later, because I watched it on a Disney Channel. So if it came out in theaters or whatever in 1992, I wouldn't have seen it until it made its way to TV. Because I didn't go to the theater as a kid. Right. 12, 13, 14. So maybe it was like like the perfect age for it once it was on TV. I saw the first one, and I don't even know what it is, because I don't care about sports at all.
1: It's not about sports. It's about the team, team building, and then the jerk who redeems himself. And then people being awful to the team and the team surpassing all obstacles.
0: Also, Emilio Espes is a perfect jerk in this movie. He's like the biggest jerk.
1: That's really interesting because it's a trope that I love. I love the sports movie and I love the team building thing. And I love the jerk who coaches the team. We saw that in the League of Their Own. We talked about it. It's a similar, you know, dynamics, a similar trope. That's Friday Night Lights. And I keep watching those movies. And I love this show. This movie I missed. But when I was 12, I had the Mighty Ducks of my time. And that was a 70s movie called The Bad News Bears. And it's exactly the same thing. Asshole coach, the team that nobody knew how to train. And you have the one kid that was brought in late. And you have a girl who plays for the team too. And it's fantastic. And I grew up watching that so many times. It's Walter Mattel, And there was this one kid that was the bad boy. And I'm pretty sure that has got wired in my brain from when I was 9, 10, 11, that I liked the bad boys terrible message to indoctrinate a girl so early so young but what can i say so you're telling me that you never watched the bad news bears no please can we watch it
0: Mm -hmm. we'll put it on the list
1: watching the mighty ducks reminded me so much of the bad news bears and how many times i've watched that movie and how it was such a huge influence for me because exactly of what happens in Mighty Ducks with the kids and the friendships and, you know, winning and conquering things. And, yeah.
0: So my favorite part of this movie, when I first watched it, was the fact that it was surprisingly feminist. Um. There's a scene after they quack at the principal and get put in detention where Gordon goes to get them out of detention. And he was like, hey, guys. And anyway, the little blonde girl is like, People and he was like, "Oh yeah, sorry, people." <laughs> also, Connie was great, and this movie was like surprisingly diverse. I don't know what it is, but back in the '90s, I just watched a lot of super diverse media. So much of the media I liked had religious diversity, ethnic diversity, gender diversity. I know that people like maybe don't like that word anymore. Diverse. It's not a great word to use. Insofar as it, it's kind of like white people making themselves feel better word but i don't know what other word to use it was the 90s because on the team you, like you have two girls and you have a bunch of white boys who were often interchangeable then you had two jewish boys yeah who were great characters they were just super funny characters i mean i don't know if you thought Averman was funny I thought he was. He tried. Uh, Actually, in the sequel that comes up soon, they get rid of all the the shitty characters. Although I think they also get rid of Jesse, which is sad. The Oreo Line, the thing they called the Oreo Line in the film, which I thought
1: was great. Yeah, and the black kids were like the heart of the show, right? And the the ones that stood up.
0: Jesse and Terry. And their dad was really important, too.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: When we say that Jesse's like the heart of the team, at the very end of the movie, when they're in the championship game, because Gordon has this beef with his former coach, he was very emotionally abusive to him. He basically takes a member of that team, the enemy team, by reporting them for being on the wrong team because the district lines got redrawn. It was a bunch of drama. And so he's not on the wrong team. So Gordon goes and tells the league, hey, this kid is playing for the wrong team. And so Adam Banks, who used to be like one of the mean bully kids, gets to come and be on the ducks instead of the Hawks. Then we see Jesse not accept him at all and Adam just Adam Banks, who is the kid, is like, "Oh fuck, I just want to play hockey." And in the championship game, his former teammates brain him with a with a goal post. <laughs> it's really mean. You see them come together. Jesse comes and like, you did good, and he's like, "Get him!" and they're like, "Yes!" and it's like friendship. <laughs> Teenage me loved this. Oh man. Uh, P.S. Adult me also loved this.
1: This is a great trope. I just love that.
0: Also, I shipped them really hard.
1: Oh my god, <laughs>
0: really? Yes, I wrote so much fanfic about uh, Adam and Jesse. No. Yes. But They are little kids. Have you not heard of Have you not heard of aging characters up? yeah okay and also i was a kid it didn't matter that's true that's true okay i'm so glad that all that money ducks epic has been lost to, the, to time
1: <laughs> has it yes it must be there on the internet forever
0: no no it's not on the internet it was handwritten in notebooks
1: Ah. Oh. oh my god you didn't keep it no okay
0: for good reason anna you don't need it so what did you think of seeing foggy in this movie
1: where i knew him you didn't know oh my god i was watching the whole thing it's like
0: i know this guy where is this kid from (laughs) that's foggy eldon henson that's his name oh my sweet babe jesus when we went into daredevil season one people were like oh foggy why does this character exist he's so boring and unnecessary i was always gonna love foggy because i love eldon henson
1: Everything makes sense now. I really liked Charlie, especially because it is Joshua Jackson. Almost unrecognizable.
0: He actually becomes the heart of the franchise later on, as Disney realizes that he's becoming a star. He becomes the center. Not so much of the second movie. The second movie is still kind of about Gordon. Uh, but the third movie is definitely about Charlie. It centers him. He It puts him into t- Gordon's role.
1: I wonder if then, at that stage, he was already doing Dawson's Creek?
0: Maybe he might have been.
1: Because Doctor Who I think, is 1996.
0: Also, how did you find the romance?
1: It seems very... Um, something that you do in these movies.
0: Even when I was a kid, my favorite romance in this movie, it was not between the, the adults, but was between Connie and Guy.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Who never really... It's not really obvious. It shows up if you watch them in scenes where they're not the focus.
2: Oh my gosh, Renee. <laughs> what?
0: Yep. Teenage me finding the hardest romance to root for and going for it. No, I
1: can't say that I really saw that.
0: How did you not see it? It was there. And at the end, they make out on the ice. (laughs) Very romantic, Anna. Okay. Like, you know when you come home on like a winter day and it's cold outside and it was raining and you're wet and you change clothes and you get into a warm sweater and you have a hot cup of tea? That is how this movie feels for me.
1: That's how Bad News Bears feels for me. Please, let's watch that.
0: Oh my god.
1: I'm just scared because my movie's from 1976. Hmm. Yeah. There's a danger there.
0: We've already gone through the Ferris Bueller disaster. I know. Okay, how many space bees are you going to give the Muddy Ducks?
1: I'm going to give it three and a half, too.
0: That little tiny space bee, shy peeking out of the hive
1: yes it's the other half it's the butt from the
0: <laughs> oh so he turned around to moon us yes i give this movie five space bees because it totally holds up
1: i guess the only thing left to say is
0: quack 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 recommendations. Anna, hit me. What you got?
1: Surprising no one, I will reclocate mm-hmm. the new Netflix show. I binge-watched it within a weekend and it's pretty awesome. As expected, it's the character that we came to learn and love from Jessica Jones. Here there is more scope for growth and it's very incisively candid about racial relations in america right now and it's just pretty fucking awesome and what about your recommendation this time
0: in a magical twist of fate we have aligned our racks without even talking to each other (laughs) so there is an article called the luke cage syllabus a breakdown of all the black literature featured in netflix's luke cage by tara betts on black nerd problems it recaps all the books and literature that the show references. And I've only seen one book so far, but I really like it when shows interspersed books because nothing is an accident when you're talking about television. And so if there's a book there, there's a reason for that book to be there. I'm really interested in finishing the show and then actually reading maybe some of the books on this list. I've read through the list itself and to see what books have been talked about and there's lots of black authors. So if you've already seen the show and you're a book nerd and you're looking for what kind of books Luke was reading, what kind of books featured, this article is a great place to start. I can't
1: believe we have like similar ranks. That's destiny.
0: congratulations to us woohoo thanks so much for recording with me today Anna
1: no problem thank you so much for allowing me to sever a space beat
0: poor space beats our music today is by Boxcat Games and our instrumentals are by Tuki Music
1: our super cool logo is by ERA and you can commission them at justera.tumble.com or ping them on Twitter at justera
0: We really appreciate all iTunes reviews. They really, really do help more people find and enjoy our podcast.
1: If you want more of us between episodes, and why wouldn't you? You can reach us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast.
0: I'm on Twitter at Renee.
1: And I'm at Booksmugglers.
0: If you'd like to read or watch along with our next topics for our next episode, we are going to watch Crimson Peak. Pocus, Pocus, and read The Family Plot by Cherry Priest.
1: It's a Halloween episode, folks.
0: And as always, Space Bees, thank you so much for listening.
1: See you next episode.
0: Bye! I think about some of the things I've read in like fandom written. Listen, I've seen things done with rosary beads in fan fiction that you don't want to talk about.
1: Oh my God, no! La 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 la
0: la. I'm not a good judge. Listen to this.
2: I don't know.